I appreciate the hard work that goes into making nights like this possible. I give honor to everybody who has played a hand. I know that this kind of night, this kind of week doesn't just happen, but it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of planning. And so kudos to everybody that is making it happen, both the people that you see and the people that you don't see, all of the people behind the scenes, all of the people serving. I honor everybody who makes this happen. Amen. On May the 1st, I will have been a youth pastor for 10 years, and I can tell you I know firsthand that events like this, they don't just happen. Just simply from the youth pastor and his wife, but there's a lot of hands that go into making a week like this successful. And so I honor this church for doing a first-class job and believing in the next generation of students to make an event like this possible. I give honor to your pastor, all the executive pastor, administrative pastor, all of the leaders. I give honor to all of the parents, and also I want to say a special honor to Brother Brendan and Sister Veronica. I appreciate them. I got to spend a little time with him, and he's the kind of person that you, the more you're around him, the more you like him. Uh, you know, not everybody's like that. I want to be like that, but I know that not everybody's like that. But he is like that. He's a Christian, and I appreciate uh, his leadership his spirit and I am honored to be here I am missing my family I give honor to my wife and our son Oliver and I know that I mentioned last night that he's kind of battling some sickness uh, it hasn't gotten worse but it hasn't gotten better I've been on my way to church and I said you know what I'm gonna be preaching to an army of praying young people and here's what I believe right now I believe we can pray together that God will touch him and I believe by the time service is over, I can get a text message or a phone call that God is taking care of it. Anybody believe that? Would you help me pray for him? His name is Oliver. I believe your prayers can make a difference. Does anybody believe that your prayers can make a difference? Would you help me pray for him right now? Jesus, I'm asking you, and I speak to the sickness that is plaguing in Oliver's body, and I command it to subside now in the name of Jesus. You said wherever two or three can agree, touching any one thing, that it would be established, God. I'm agreeing with these students tonight that you're going to heal my baby. God, I'm believing right now that it's done, that you're going to the city of Bogalusa. You're taking away the fever, any infection that may be present, and I believe God by the time service is over I will get a report saying that all is well that God you have done it again I've seen you do it before and I believe you're going to do it again tonight and somebody say in Jesus name in Jesus name if you have your Bibles did anybody bring your Bibles to church if you did raise your hand if anybody's if anybody was this person oh, they're going to put it on the screen would you raise your hand Let's be honest. If you thought, man, you know what, they're going to look at that beautiful screen. I don't need to. If you're that person, just raise your hand. James chapter 4 and verse number 7. Thank God for the screen. I give honor to my pastor. So thankful for his leadership and voice. Trusting me to be here. James chapter 4. I want to honor you for your response last night. I know sometimes the first night can be unique. You don't know the speaker. They don't know you. And it's just kind of like the stranger wall. But I, I want to honor you for the way that you responded. And I want you to take something away from me tonight. And last night, I want you to know where you should run when it seems like life has fallen apart and you've made a mess of it. You don't have to run to anything else, but you can run to Jesus Christ. How you respond to failure is going to determine what kind of future you have because failure visits all of us. We're all products of people who just simply don't quit. So 
Night number one, remember, let your failures, your mistakes, your weaknesses, your struggles, let it lead you to Jesus because he's the only one that can truly help us. But tonight I feel a burden to share something with you that I believe if you can apply it to your life, 10 years from now, you're still going to be living for God. You're still going to be strong in your faith. And I believe that's the will of God for everybody in this room, that you do not have to backslide. I don't believe you have to leave the church. I don't, I don't care what the statistics are. I believe we serve a God who can override them. And I'm telling you one thing. If you want to live for God, you can do it. It doesn't matter what your parents do or don't do. If you want to live for God, you can do it. It doesn't matter what everybody at school's doing. If you want to live for God, you can do it. It doesn't matter what anybody else in the youth group is doing. If you want to live for God, you just got to make up your mind. I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. And I believe God has shared something with me that I want to share with you that will help you make that a reality. James chapter 4 and verse number 7. And now I'm going to read Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 really quick. The Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse number 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, this word resist isn't like how we would use it today. Like when you're on a diet, you want to resist the desserts. You know, you just you want to resist that temptation. This is kind of a different word. Uh, this word is antihistamine. Where we get our English word for medicine and a histamine from it literally means to set oneself against or to oppose and so what James is saying is submit to God number one but number two when it comes to the devil oppose him resist him let him know you're not going anywhere a lot of people talk about rebuking the devil, but 12 times in the New Testament, the word rebuke is mentioned, and it's never mentioned to rebuke the devil, but the Bible does say to resist the devil, and he will flee. He's going to flee because when he comes up against you and you make the decision to stand, he's going to realize that he's got more on his plate than he bargained for, and so he's going to move on to somebody else. You have to resist. You have to stay in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. I'm going to read quickly. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and then the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is telling us who our enemies are. Verse number 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Same Greek word as in James 4, resist, that you may be able to oppose or to stand against in the evil day. And then he wraps it all up and says, having done all to stand. So for the next few moments, I want to preach to you from this thought. Stand and fight. Stand and fight. One more time before you see that, if you can just lift up your hands. And I know that you know how to pray. Would you just simply pray that God would speak to us tonight? Come on, I want every student to lift up your voice right now. Don't be timid. God, speak to us. 
Come on, I believe tonight's going to be a marquee night for Storm Youth. God is going to deposit something into this youth group, and you're going to become an army like never before, and you're going to make a difference in this city. Every school that you populate, God is going to use you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence, God, to share your word with your people. God, I'm asking you right now to let there be clarity. Let there be boldness, God. Let the anointing of God destroy every yoke, God. We come not with enticing words of men's wisdom, God, but let there be a power and let there be a demonstration. God, I pray that before we leave tonight, every chain would be broken, every fetter would be shattered, and there would be freedom in this room, God. And I pray that there would be a mindset that would baptize this youth group, God, that I am not going anywhere. God, I pray you give them boldness. Let there be an aggression tonight. I pray, God, that you would raise up an army in the name of Jesus Christ and somebody shout, in Jesus' name, I want you to turn to three people and say, I'm so glad you're here tonight, and you may be seated. When we begin to read the Bible, has anybody ever read the book of Genesis? Has anybody read the book of Genesis like 500 times because you said you were going to read through the Bible this year? And you got like on January 12th and we're like, ah, oh, I just got to, I'm behind, I'm going to catch up next year. Who would be honest and say you've done that before? Who would be real honest and say you did that this year? I'm kidding. But when you get to reading through the book of Genesis, you're going to realize that you only get three chapters into the Bible before the serpent shows up. And when he enters into the scene, his goal is very simple. He wants to disrupt the relationship that Adam and Eve have with God. His original tactic was deception, but the end goal nonetheless was he wants to disrupt the relationship between God and his people. It's imperative that you understand the enemy will always target the thing that God loves the most. And there is nothing in this world that Jesus Christ loves more than souls. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, we, this is where we find the serpent showing up. The Bible says in Genesis 3.14, after the serpent has uh, convinced uh, Eve to partake of the forbidden fruit, the Bible says that the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are going to be cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field and on your belly you're going to go and dust shall you eat all the days of your life and he says I will put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel now we know in hindsight what happened at Calvary this came to fruition but there was a promise that day that there's always going to be enmity between the enemy and God's people. But God established it in the very beginning, the position both of the enemy and of you. And that is that, yes, we may get a bruised heel, but he is going to get a bruised head, showing us where he is, and that is under our feet. It's important that you understand that no matter how scary he tries to make himself appear, the enemy is still under your feet. 
I want you to know you don't have to be afraid of him. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I don't care how scary people try to paint him. He is no match for a child of God. He is under your feet. But that doesn't mean he isn't going to stop messing with you. When you read through the Old Testament, it seems as if the children of Israel were always in a battle. It seems like they were always fighting someone, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Perizzites, the Moabites, anybody else named I, they fought them. Then you find them fighting the Philistines. One of the most notable battles of the enemy was with the Philistines. And the reason in the Old Testament that there were so many physical battles, so many wars, is because in the Old Testament, God's people were in a physical covenant. And so because they were in a physical covenant, they fought physical battles. And so the enemy would use people to oppose the plan of God. Perhaps the most famous of the battles in the Old Testament is David. And Goliath. David was a young person. He was just on the backside of a desert, the backside of a hill, tending the sheep. He was just serving God, writing psalms, living his life, just chilling, not bothering anybody. But one day his dad sends him on a mission and said, I want you to bring some cheese and bread to your brothers. They are in a battle with the Philistines. And so David grabs the food, and now David has become the Uber Eats guy. And so he shows up to the battle. And David hears something as he gets closer to the battlefield. He hears an unfamiliar voice from a man by the name of Goliath who is defying the people of God, and he is defying the God of Israel. And as David shows up to the battle, he asks this question, is there not a cause? David wanted somebody to answer him. Why is nobody responding to the voice of the giant? David gets closer and he hears it growing louder and then he finds out that Goliath has done this 80 times, 40 times a day, twice a day, 40, time, 40 days in a row, excuse me, twice a day. He was mocking God and here was his plea, send me a man that we may fight. And he said, this is our deal. If you defeat us, then we will serve you. But if we defeat you, then you have to serve us. But nobody would stand up to the giant. So David, this ruddy teenager, shows up and he gets a revelation that giants don't just go away. They have to be dealt with. As long as you allow a giant to mock you, he's going to keep mocking you. Giants don't just get tired of being giants. What they have to have is somebody that says enough is enough. This has plagued our youth group long enough. This has plagued my family long enough. This has been a generational curse long enough. And somebody's got to stand up and say, today is the day that the giant died. Because as long as you give him the liberty to mock you, he's going to mock you. So David shows up, is there not a cause? And so David shows up and he says, you know what? He said, I'm going to do something about it. Saul, you may be head and shoulders over everybody. You may be the closest to the stature of Goliath, but Saul was a coward. He didn't want to do anything about it. So David says, you go tell Saul, I'll fight him. So when the words get to Saul in 1 Samuel 17 and 31, the Bible says that when the words which were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed him before Saul. And he sent for him, and David said to Saul, he said, I don't want your heart to fail you. He said, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to fight this Philistine. And I want you to watch what Saul said to David. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. 
for thou art but a youth. He said, but he's been a man of war since his youth. Here's what Saul was saying, David, the very thing that disqualifies you is the very thing that qualifies Goliath. But here would be my question to Saul. If Goliath could start when he was a youth, then why can't David start when he was a youth? I want you to hear me, Storm Youth. If you're old enough to be attacked by the enemy, then you're old enough to be anointed by God. If you're old enough to be tempted, you're old enough to be trusted. If you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost and you have been baptized in Jesus' name, I don't read an age requirement for the anointing of God. You just got to make up your mind. Enough is enough. I've got to defeat this giant. If nobody else will fight, I'll fight. If nobody else will pray, I'll pray. If nobody else will fast, I'll the spirit of Saul would tell you you're too young but I would tell the spirit of Saul if pornography doesn't wait on you to grow up if depression doesn't wait on you to grow up if anxiety and fear doesn't wait on you to grow up if the world doesn't wait on you to grow up then God doesn't have to wait on you to grow up God is ready to use you now you just got to make up your mind I am willing to fight I search the scripture high and low. I don't read that there's age requirements for the anointing. When you get the Holy Ghost, you get the same Holy Ghost that your favorite preacher got. You just got to utilize it and realize that I have everything in me. I have everything at my disposal to defeat the giant. But you got to make up your decision. I'll stand and I'll fight. You have to get sick and tired, and you have to say enough is enough. This has been in my family line for too long. This has attacked our youth group for too long. This has attacked our church for too long. I'm telling you, one young person has the power to stand against the giants that plague our generation and say enough is enough. I'm not going to sit on the sideline and do nothing. God is calling for a generation to stand and to fight and to say I am going to do something about this. So David begins to tell Saul, I know you think I'm too young. He said, but I believe that I can do it. Why? He said, because Saul, what you don't know about is I was protecting the sheep one time and a lion came and a bear came and the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear is going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. Here's what David was saying. Yes, I don't have adequate training. Yes, I'm probably not old enough. Yes, I don't have it all together. But here's what I do have. I have a testimony of what I've seen God do when nobody else was around. Nobody knows about the time I defeated the lion. Nobody knows about the time I defeated the bear. But when you have a private testimony, it gives you that public faith to say, I will fight this giant. So yes, you may be a little young, but do you have a testimony of what you've seen God do for you in your private life? And so David says, you know what? I'm going to do this. Saul said, here's what I want you to do. If you're convinced, him that you're going to go out into the battle, here's what Saul said. At least take the armor. Because Saul wanted to appear like he had a part in the victory, but he wanted no part in the battle. But David said, I can't trust this. Because when you're in the fight of your life, that's not when it's time to look for a new way. 
You have to stick to what you know works. You have to stick to what you know has gotten you to this point. So David said, you know what? I can't wear your armor. Why? Because the only way you're going to kill a giant is when you learn to be comfortable in who you are. And you have to realize God doesn't need you to be somebody else for you to kill the giant. You are the one that God wants to use. And so the cry from Goliath was, send me a man. But he was befuddled when he looked across the field. And there came a teenager running across the field. And he said, thou comes against me with a sword and a spear. But here was the revelation that David had. I don't have the training. I don't have the proper armor. But I have a testimony and I have a name. He said, you're coming to me with a shield and a spear. But I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And I'm telling you, when you have a testimony and you pair that with the name, you have everything you need to kill the giant. But you have to be willing to stand up and fight it's not though you don't have to be a pushover you don't have to be weak God's trying to raise up an army that says enough is enough I'm not going to be passive I'm going to stand and I'm going to fight I'll fight for my family. I'll fight for those who don't know Jesus. I'll fight for the truth. I'll fight for righteousness. I will fight for my pastor. I will fight for my church. David made a decision that day that he was going to fight. And because a young person made a decision to fight, a a giant died. God does not look for ability. God is attracted to availability. And if you will give God your availability, you will find out about God's capability. And when your availability pairs up with God's capability, giants are going to start dying, but you have to make up your mind. I don't have to wait till I'm 20. I don't have to wait till I'm 25. I don't have to wait till I'm 30. I've got everything I need now to kill the giant. But you have to be willing. You have to be willing to stand. And you have to be willing to fight. When David decided to fight, giants started dying. But I want to tell you the flip side of what happens when you get comfortable and you stop fighting. Because the same young person who was the praise champion of Israel when they said Saul has killed thousands, but David has tens of thousands. There's another episode in David's life when it was time to go to battle. But the Bible says in 2 Samuel 11 and 1, and it came to pass after the year was expired that it was time for the kings to go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and they besieged Rabbah. But David tarried. At Jerusalem. It was time to go to battle, but David said, I'm going to sit this one out. And here's what happens if you're not careful and you get comfortable. The next verse says this, and it came to pass at evening tide. When the Bible says it came to pass, something's about to go down. So the Bible says David arose from off his bed. Now he's supposed to be at battle, but he walks on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look on. And what David should have done is when he saw Bathsheba, he should have said, that is not my wife. I need to go back inside. But when you're not fighting, you're comfortable. And you'll look at things you know you shouldn't be looking at. And I'm telling you, the enemy is just waiting on an opportune time for you to lower the hedge and get comfortable. And he is going to move in. And David, the same man that killed Goliath, is the same man who had an affair with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered, all because he should have been in the battle. How many temptations could be avoided if we'll simply be in the battle? 
David the giant slayer turned into David the adulterer when he decided not to fight. I want you to know, Storm, there's too much on the line to relax now. There's too many prophecies on your life to relax now. The Bible makes it very clear that part of the end time is that he was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, but there was also going to be sons and daughters that were going to prophesy. The Bible says in 2 Kings that a young man, even a young man went to Ramoth Kilead. God is looking for young people to achieve his goal in the world, but you got to be willing to say, I'm not going to get carnal. I'm not going to get comfortable. I'm not going to relax. I'm going to fight for the anointing that's on my life. I want every young person to lift your, both of your hands right now. And I want you to just tell God, God, I will fight for the anointing that's on my life. I will fight for the ministry that's on my life. Come on, lift up your voice. Come on, if it means something to you, I want you to let God know, I will fight for it, God. I will fight for my future. I will fight for my future marriage. I will fight for my future children. I will fight for the ministry that you put on my life. Come on, lift up your voice right now and let God know I'll fight. Come on, I'll pray about it. I'll fast about it. I'll dedicate myself to the word of God for it. Come on, lift your voice louder. Let God know you're going to fight for it. I want you to know tonight that while the battle is different, there is still a battle. I told you a moment ago in the Old Testament, just like with David and Goliath, the battles they fought were physical, but because the covenant that they had with God was physical. But when Jesus enters the scene, the battle shifts from physical to spiritual. That's why you don't see much demon possession in the Old Testament, but it was very prevalent in the New Testament, is because now the battle is spiritual. We are still fighting, but the enemies are not flesh and blood. They are spiritual enemies. We don't fight the Philistines or the Amalekites or the Amorites. The Bible clearly tells us who our enemy is. Goliath is no longer a physical giant, but he's a spiritual giant. And the Bible makes it clear in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, to be sober and to be vigilant. Why? Why is this imperative that we are to be sober and we are to be vigilant? Everybody point at yourself and say, because my adversary. Come on, say it. Say, my adversary. I was reading this one day, and it was like the word George just lifted from the pages. And it was like, for, for the first time I realized, Satan is not God's adversary. He's my adversary. Because God doesn't have an adversary. Because nobody's on the same plane as him. Everything is subject and everything will bow to Jesus Christ. But we, me and you, we have an adversary. And the Bible makes it very clear that our adversary is Satan. The Bible says be sober, be vigilant. Because everybody say my. My adversary, the devil, he walks about as a roaring lion. And Spencer, you know what he's waiting on? He's waiting on the time for you to let your guard down. He's waiting all the time for you to get comfortable. Because I want you to notice the verbiage. You, you have to get this. The Bible says, put that back up, please. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. I want you to watch this. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion. Seeking whom 
he may devour. You have to get this in your spirit. The enemy does not get to decide who he devours. You decide if you get devoured or not. He has to have your permission to devour you. Because I don't care how much you struggle. If you can just possess the mindset that I'm not throwing in the towel, you will win. You will never be able to convince me that the God we serve has set us up for a losing battle. I want you to know you have everything you need to make it. I said you have the word of God. You have the spirit of God. You have the name of Jesus. You have the blood of Jesus. You have brothers and sisters. You have everything you need to make it. You just got to make up your mind. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. That's what the Bible says. Don't get weary in well-doing for in due season. You're going to reap as long as you don't quit. I'm telling you, the only way you lose, hear me, hear me, young people, the only way you lose is if you quit. If somehow you can muster up the strength to say, I don't care how low I get, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to pray again. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to worship again. You will make it. Be seated for just a moment. You will make it. I know what I'm talking about. I, when I got the Holy Ghost, Brother Scott, I was the only one in my family, to my knowledge, to be spirit-filled. And I would go home, and I would go to my bedroom, and that's where I learned how to fight in the spirit. Because the enemy would try to lie to me. Some of my own family members turned on me. But I learned the power of praying in the spirit. I learned the power of the word of God. I was only 19 years old. I couldn't explain all of Revelation. I didn't know too much about the Bible. But I knew this one thing. That the God that was in me was also the God that was for me. And with me and him together, I knew I was going to make it. And I learned that if I'll just fight for him, he'll start fighting for me. And when he starts fighting for you, something is going to happen. People told me I was crazy. And that's still debatable. People told me I'll never make it. People told me you'll never be able to maintain this level of fanaticism. But I made up my mind that even though I was the first one in my family to be spirit-filled, I wasn't going to be the last one. And if my family was going to go to hell, the enemy was going to have to fight through my times of prayer, through my days of fasting, through my consecration to the Word of God. Why? Because I'm telling you, I got the revelation. If I will stand and fight, giants will start dying. Generational curses will start breaking. Chains will start loosening. Addictions will start falling. Why? Because I've decided to fight. I said you do not have to accept what the enemy has done as the final word. You can fight back. I want you to be seated. Is there a student in, in this room that you're the only one in your family or one of the few in your family that lives for God? I want you to lift your hands. 
if you're one of the few members of your family, if everybody in your family is living for God, lift your hands. If you have people that you know in your inner circle or your family that's not living for God, I want you to lift your hands. I want you to know large parts of who they are is dependent on your willingness to fight for them. Your fight can make a difference. Hear me. Your life is not just about you. It's about the people that God wants to minister through you to affect. But you've got to decide, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight, number one, for myself. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to make up your mind now that there's nothing worth going to hell over. There's no girl pretty enough. There's no guy handsome enough. I don't care how smooth he is. If he doesn't want to live for God, he ain't the one for me. Why? Because I need somebody that's going to help me fight. Come on, I'll tell our youth group, I'd rather you have a broken heart than a lost hole. The last thing you need to do is link up with somebody that drags you away from God. You need to say, oh no, I got too much to fight for. I got too much to fight for. I got to hurry. My time's almost up. I got to hurry. The Bible makes it clear, 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Why? Because now the battle is spiritual. The Bible says in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare, it tells us what they are not. They are not carnal. They are not fleshly. But here's what they are. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I want you to know the weapons you have, you can cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And you can bring into captivity every thought somebody get this right now every thought that tells you you're not good enough every thought that tells you you're not going to make it every thought that tells you you'll never be what God wants you to be you can bring that to the obedience of Christ because though we be in the flesh the battle that we fight is not in the flesh our weapons now they are not shields and spears our weapons are spiritual now they are prayer they are fasting. They are worship and praise. Your weapon is the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of son of soul and spirit in their joints and the marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hear me tonight. You have everything that you need to make it. You have everything at your disposal to make it. You don't have to backslide. You don't have to be wayward. You can overcome any statistic. You can overcome any generational curse. You can overcome any bondage. You can overcome any addiction. You can overcome any struggle. You just have to make up your mind that you're not going to throw in the towel and that at all costs you're going to stand and you're going to fight. You can fight. You can learn to fight in prayer. You have to develop a prayer life. I don't have time to go do all the principles of spiritual discipline but you have to fight in the word of God. I want to ask everybody in this room, mainly the students, I want you to close your eyes for just a few seconds. I want to ask you this simple question. If you've read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, raise your hand. If you've read the whole Bible. Put your hands down. I want you to open your eyes. I've asked this question in the last two years, almost everywhere that I preach. And I don't say this to condemn you. But it's always around 3 to 5% of the crowd has read the whole Bible. There's a Bible plan. I'll send it to Brother Brendan. Called the Bible in six months. And I've challenged youth groups, districts, 
whomever will take the challenge to go and read through the Bible. Why? Because that's our weapon now. When, when Satan came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says he's beginning to try to tempt Jesus. And here's how Jesus dealt with the enemy. He said, it is written. Three times, it is written. It is written. It is written. Why is that so important? Because now we fight the same enemy. But we also have access to the same word. And you see, Jesus could have handled the enemy any kind of way. He was God manifested in the flesh. He could have summoned the angels to carry him away. He could have snapped his fingers and made him disappear. But Jesus chose to deal with the enemy in a way that we can imitate. Because we have the same Bible. And we can look at the same enemy. And we can say, no, you're a liar. It is written. But I don't mean to condemn you. But you don't have the power to declare it is written if you don't know what is written. That's why you have to become familiar with the word of God. Because the word will keep you when emotion fades, when hype fades, when nobody else is around. It's the word of God that will establish you and you will grow roots and you will be firmly planted. I challenge you, get familiar with the word of God. That's how you fight. Learn to develop a time of prayer. Fight in the presence of God. The musicians will come. I'm going to close. I don't have time to go through all of it, but your homework tonight, it'll take you five minutes. Before you go to bed tonight, I want to challenge you to read Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible talks about the armor of God. That's how we fight. It's important for you to know that. Why am I preaching this tonight? Because the Bible says it like this. Lest Satan should get advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. I'm exposing him, but I also want to expose who you are and who your God is. That if you will simply be willing to fight, you can make it. The enemy is no match for you. Everybody say, I am a victor. I will be victorious. Stand to your feet. Asher, is that your name? Come here, buddy. I met Asher last night. Come up the steps. Sorry you trying to give a fist bump earlier, but the person didn't see you, so I got your back. You're going you're gonna to help me tonight. Bible says in 2 Samuel 23, it starts talking about David's mighty men. And these men were amazing. I mean, they were built different. The Bible says there was one man that fell in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. I don't know, probably not here, but like in Louisiana, if somebody mentions the word snow, school is closed. The hospital's closed. You don't even go to Walmart. You just better hope you make it. But this man fell down in a pit with a lion in a snowy day. And with no weapons, he killed him. I don't know. Maybe humans just aren't built the way they used to be built. Because I don't think we would make it. Then the Bible gets to verse number 11. And it says that there was another mighty man named Shama, the son of Agi, hair right and the Bible says that that Shama was standing 
there's a piece of ground full of lentils. And Shama or Asher tonight is standing there in the middle of the field. And the enemy shows up. And all of your friends leave. Because you find out who your real friends are in the battle. In the valleys. In the hard times. Everybody was around Jesus when it was the loaves and the fish. But by the time it got to Calvary, Jesus looked around. And there wasn't many people there. Because you find out who's really with you in the hard times. Shama standing there in this ground full of lentils. His friends are gone. But he has to make a decision. Do I leave and let the enemy have this piece of land? Or do I fight? Now, here's what we don't know. How big it was. How much money it was worth. If it even belonged to you. Did your mom and dad leave you this as an inheritance? Did you buy this from somebody? How did you get this piece of land? What's the property value? How big is it? Why are you so passionate about it? We don't know. But here's what we do know. Shama standing there. The enemy shows up and everybody else leaves. But Shama stands up, plants his feet in the dirt, and lets the enemy know, if you want this piece of land, you're going to have to go through me. The Bible makes it clear about his posture. He did not bow down. He did not lay down. He wanted to let the enemy know, I'm standing in the midst of this ground. And if you want it, bring it. And the Bible says, now we know, we know, Asher, you cannot defeat an entire army by yourself. But here is what I've learned about God. When somebody makes a decision to stand for him, that kind of God steps in and stands with them. And he'll win battles you can never win. But it all starts when one person says, not this piece of land. I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to stand and I'm going to fight. So here's my closing question to you, Asher, and to everybody in this room. Is there anything in your life that's worth standing and fighting for? Hear me for just a moment. Is your faith worth fighting for? Is your future worth fighting for? Are your friends worth fighting for? Is your family worth fighting for? Is your youth group worth fighting for? Is your church worth fighting for? Is your pastor worth fighting for? Is the anointing on your life worth fighting for? Is the calling and destiny worth fighting for. It's your future marriage and your future ministry worth fighting for. Because Asher, you can have it, but you're going to have to fight for it. David shows us, thank you, David shows us how it works. 1 Samuel 16, David gets anointed. The very next chapter, David meets Goliath. Because anointings always come with adversaries. 
but you can have it if you'll fight for it. I told you a little bit of my story, and I'm done. I'm going to close with this. I'm for real done. Like, I know preachers say that, but my time is up. I want to be done preaching before you're done listening, and I know we're getting close to the threshold. I was 19. I was the only one in my family. But I decided, Nate, I'm going to start fighting. And I watched slowly but surely. God started giving me victory. I got to baptize my grandmother in Jesus' name, taught her a Bible study. She got the Holy Ghost. Two of my cousins got baptized in Jesus' name. God filled them with the Holy Ghost. Both of my best friends got baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Ghost. My half-sister got baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Ghost. My stepdad got baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Ghost. My mother got baptized in Jesus' name. God healed her of cancer. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been meeting in my house, going through a Bible study. Why? Because I made up my mind. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I've got to fight. Here's how it works. The person who won me to the Lord, Sean Wilson, one of my best friends, two years after I was in the church, he backslid. Unexpectedly, I don't know what happened. And for almost 10 years, he was away from God. We had lost contact. We didn't hardly talk. But in uh, October of last year, the Lord laid him on my heart. I called him. I said, hey, let's get together for lunch. We need to reconnect. I was away in Boston, November. And I get a phone call. His dad passed. Excuse me, this is two years ago. His dad passes away. Unexpectedly just falls dead on the kitchen floor in his late 50s. So I get home. We go to the hospital. We pray for him. He ends up passing away. Shortly thereafter, I was going on a trip. I invited Sean to come. There was a group of guys with us. Everybody had went to bed. He looked at me and he goes, again, he hasn't shed a tear in almost 10 years. I haven't seen him pray probably 8 to 10 years. He has just gotten so cold. But he looked at me and said, man, you remember those all-night prayer meetings we used to have? You remember how we would lock ourselves away and just pray and fast together? If there was a youth rally within 100 miles by the DJ, we went. We were just, I mean, we were inseparable. I said, I remember. And I looked at him and told him this. I said, Sean, the same door you walked out of, I want you to know it's still open. And Jesus wants you to come home. A couple of weeks later, we were in service. Brother Scott, I hadn't seen him cry in almost a decade. He had gotten so cold. But on one Sunday morning, he came to the altar and he kneeled down. And he began to pray. I gave him about 10 seconds. And then I ran over there and prayed with him. And I fell on my knees and I wrapped my arms around him. And I felt his back begin to shake as the tears began to flow. And I heard him pray these words, Lord, open my heart again. And I got to pray with my friend who taught me the Bible study, who brought me to church, who taught me how to pray, who drove me to church. I got to pray with him as God refilled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And what he didn't know is for the last 8 to 10 years, I have been praying and fasting and praying and fasting because I wanted the enemy to know if my friend's going to go to hell, he's going to have to step over me praying, step over me fasting, step over me dedicating. Why? Because I decided I was going to fight. 
it meant enough to me to fight for and I'm trying to stir something in your spirit that your soul is worth fighting for. I know there's pressure right now. I know it's hard right now. I know you're in battles right now. But I'm pleading with you. Don't give up. Keep fighting. I want every student to step out of your chair. And I want you to join me at the altar. Every student. Every student in this room. Come on, come. Every hyphen, come. I want you to join me right now. Hear me, hear me. Let me see your eyes for just a moment. I'm not telling you that it's not going to be hard sometimes. I'm telling you it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Nobody will ever walk away from God and at the end of their life on their deathbed say, I was glad I did that. But there are scores of people that are going to be lost in eternity that will say, I wish I would have just kept praying. I wish I would have not gotten bitter. I wish I would have kept going to youth service. Stand and fight. Somebody's counting on you. Number one, you're counting on you. Because here's the reality. I can pray for you. But I cannot pray for you. Your parents can pray and fast for you. But they really can't pray for you. It's your decision. You have to make a decision. This is my soul. And I'm going to fight for it. I want every hand to be lifted. Come on, let the tears flow. If you're away from God, tonight's your night to come home. Parents, leaders, will you help me pray right now? If you want to come and pray with them, God is doing something in this youth group. I'm telling you, there's a turning point happening right now in the spirit. The devil is a liar. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Come on, lift up your hands and declare it. I'm going to make it. I'm not backsliding. I don't care how hard it gets. Come on, lift up your voice and go to war right now. Come on, that's it. Lift up your voice.